Hello, my name's Naomi. I'm going to be doing the reading today from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 5, verse 10. Please grab your Bibles as we get into God's Word. I'm just going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come before you today with you as our great high priest because of the beautiful sacrifice of your son Jesus. We want to thank you for that and all the good things that you give us in our life. We ask that today, as we sit under your word, that you reveal yourself to us in a way that we cannot deny. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. For no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Jelena. Today's Bible reading is Psalm 110. Of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendour, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're like me, there have been times in your life as a Christian when you have had doubts, questions for God, and struggled with assurance. Maybe it's moments you've looked around at the injustices of the world and said, 
God, are you really in control? Maybe there's times in the lowest moments of your life, you said to God, God, do you really care? Do you really hear my prayers? Maybe moments when you've sinned and you say to God, God, can you really forgive me? Or perhaps there's moments where you felt discouraged and you say, God, are you really worth living for? Well, in those moments when we are discouraged, when we need assurance, Psalm 110 is a great psalm. You know why? Because it gives us a reality check about what really matters, about what is really true. And here's what Psalm 110 says. This is the big point. Jesus is sitting. Jesus is sitting. Thinking, really? That's the big point of Psalm 110 that's meant to give me Assurance, Jesus sitting? Well, yes, it's about where he's sitting. He is sitting in heaven's throne room. And that is what matters. We often don't talk about where Jesus is right now. We're always talking about what Jesus has done, but not about what he's doing now. He has died on a cross. He has risen again. Don't get me wrong, that's important but we often forget to talk about the climax of the gospel, that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he is sitting for us. And it's it's not just like Jesus was like, see you guys, I'm out of here and blast off into space. No, no, Jesus is sitting and you know what that means? It means he is holding on to us with his loving arms. It means he's caring for us and hears our prayers and our weaknesses and our cries. And it means when we are attacked by the evil one, he is sitting in heaven victorious over the battle. Jesus is sitting. Well, this Psalm 110 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament passage. The New Testament quotes this psalm or refers to it over 25 times. So that means the fact that Jesus is sitting is really important news for you and me. There's so much to say because it's quoted so many times, but let's look at two things this psalm says about Jesus, two things you'd never expect to be brought together. Here's what it says about Jesus sitting. Firstly, number one, Jesus is sitting on a throne. Jesus is sitting on a throne. Look down with me, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. In verse 1, there are two lords you can see written there. The first lord is in capital letters, and that is God. That's Yahweh. And God is speaking to another lord. David is the one writing this. It's David's lord. He says, my lord. Who is the second lord that God is speaking to? Well, the Jews in the Old Testament and the New Testament times, when they read this, they thought it was talking about one of David's descendants. They were thinking that it was talking about one of David's descendants who would come as a mighty warrior king, who would defeat their enemies and who would rule in strength and might. That's what they thought it was talking about. But if you look at David's descendants and the kings that followed him, I mean, they were pretty hopeless. 
None of them really managed to have all their enemies as a footstool for their feet. Many of them gave up on God altogether. So it's got to be talking about another king, a better king. Well, Jesus in Matthew 22, he's surrounded by his opponents and he tries to catch them out. And he talks about Psalm 110 and he says to those around him, he says, when David talked about my Lord, who was he talking about? And all the people around him said, oh, well, he's talking about one of his descendants. That's who the king is. Jesus says, how can David call one of his descendants his Lord? How can one of his descendants be superior to him? That's crazy. It's kind of like if the president of the United States called someone his boss. The president is at the top. How could David be calling a descendant his Lord? No, no, it's got to be about someone else. Jesus says, don't you see? Psalm 110 is about me. I am the king. I am a human king, yes, in the line of David. But I am a divine king. It's about me. So what does this psalm say about Jesus? Well, God says to Jesus, David's Lord, sit at my right hand. Back in the ancient times, to sit at someone's right hand would be to be in a position of authority status and power. If you ever want proof that right-handed people are superior, this is it. Jesus is sharing all of God's power and authority. God goes on and says to Jesus, until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet, you're going to be above everyone and everything. Verse 2, he's going to extend his scepter. He's going to rule in the midst of his enemies. Verse 3, he's going to be a king over a mighty army. That's the church. That's God's people. Jesus rules over us and blesses us. Jesus is the king of Psalm 110. You know what? Sure enough, after Jesus died and rose again, he ascended into heaven. And just as the crowd was watching Jesus ascend, Peter gets up and preaches the first ever Christian sermon. You know what he says? He preaches Psalm 110. And he says to everyone, See, Jesus has ascended to God's right hand. He has triumphed. He is king. He is sitting on the throne of heaven. Jesus is on the throne. He's actually always been on the throne, always been sitting at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. But now he is king over everyone after dying and rising again. He is sitting in all power. There's a scene in The Lion King, not the new one that's recently been made. I just find it a bit creepy. Those animals look too real. But the original one, uh, Mufasa brings Simba up, looking out over the plains. And Mufasa says to Simba, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. And Simba says, really? You rule over all of this? What about that dark shadowy land over there. Mufasa says to Simba, that's beyond our borders. You must never go there. Well, Jesus, as he sits in the throne room of heaven, he looks out over everyone and everything, and there is nothing beyond his borders. He rules completely. He rules over you and me. One theologian says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, 
who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He has triumphed. So church, will you bow your knee? Will you bow your knee? See, Jesus is not your pal or your buddy. He is on the throne in victory. He's to be worshipped, obeyed, adored. Jesus is Lord over every part of your life, over every tap of your credit card, over every thought, over every relationship, over every ambition, over your desk at work, over your couch at home. He is Lord. Will you submit to him and bow your knee? Because do you know, at the end of the psalm in verse 5 to 7, it says Jesus is not only ruling but he is returning. And when he returns, I mean, he, he's the king. He must defeat his enemies, and that's what he will do. And when the ruling king returns, you do not want to be his enemy. On that day, justice will come for all of us who have rebelled. So will you bow your knee? Can I say, I think bowing your knee to Jesus is the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Jesus made you, he loves you, and when you live life his way, you're living life as it was meant to be lived. When Hitler ruled Nazi Germany, he was a bad leader, and so the people crumbled. But when you have a good king on the throne, the people flourish. Just like a parent who's a great parent means the children flourish, or a great soccer coach means the team flourishes. So when you have a good king on the throne, every part of your life begins to heal. You are a prince and a princess in the palace with Jesus, your great king, on the throne. And when he returns, if you trust and follow him, he will give you a seat, a seat with him to rule in victory. Jesus is sitting, ruling on the throne. Well, the second thing we learn about Jesus is he is sitting and representing. He is sitting and representing as our priest. Look down at verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God's speaking again to Jesus and he says, you're a priest. Now, we're not very familiar with priests in modern day Sydney, but the Old Testament people were very familiar. A king represents God to the people, but a priest represents the people to God. A priest looks out for our needs and serves us. In the Old Testament, a priest would represent the people by making sacrifices for the people on their behalf. A priest would represent the people by entering into God's presence on their behalf. A priest would care for the needy, care for the sick. And Jesus, you know, is our, the best priest we could ever have because he is a priest who is a human, 
So he empathizes with our weaknesses. He knows our pains. He knows our struggles. But he's also God. So he is the best person that could ever represent us to God. He is our perfect priest. Firstly, he's our priest because of what he did on the cross. See, we need forgiveness. And Jesus made a sacrifice so we could be forgiven. Unlike the Old Testament priest, he didn't sacrifice an animal or a bull or a goat. No, he sacrificed himself by dying on a cross. He paid the price we were meant to pay. That's how much he loves us. And you know why he's sitting? You know why he's sitting as a priest? It's because the job is done. He has done it. You know, when you've you know, had a great long day at work or you've been out and about and you're tired and you come home and you know the job is done and you sit down, you relax, you turn on Big Brother. Why? Because the job's done. It's finished. That's what Jesus has done. He has paid the price. You are forgiven. It is finished. And so he's sitting. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 10 talks about how the Old Testament priests were always standing, always standing, making more and more sacrifices, but Jesus has sat at the right hand of God. It's done. It's finished. That's why God says that he's a priest forever in verse 4 because it's done forever. He's paid the price for your sins in the past, in the present, and the future. God says here, he's sworn. He's not going to change his mind. Next time you doubt, God, can you really forgive me? God, do you really love me? God, have I blown it? Just picture Jesus there in that throne room, seated. And remember, he has paid it all, the job is done. Well, he's sitting as our priest because of what he did on the cross, but he's also sitting as our priest representing us. He's interceding for us. Christine and I are watching The Crown for the second time. It's so good. You've got to watch it twice. And uh, we love it. And I just love looking at Buckingham Palace and how beautiful that palace is. And I often just think, gee, I just just love to walk around and explore that palace. And I'd love to walk into the throne room and have an audience with the queen. Well, Jesus has entered into the throne room of heaven. He's seated there and he is representing you. He is representing us. He is a human, a human entering into the presence of God. Now, I know that is mind-blowing and it's so hard to get your head around, but it is so comforting. Romans chapter 8 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You know what that means? Because Jesus is representing us in the throne room of heaven, we can access God at any time, anywhere, we can draw near into his presence. 
It means that when we cry and when we pray and when we struggle through life, God hears our prayers because Jesus is representing us. It means Jesus is praying for us, petitioning for our good. And it means when we sin, when we fail, Jesus is there and he's saying, he's mine, she's mine. That's my daughter, that's my son. I've forgiven them. I've died for them. He is our advocate to the Father. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says this, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church, we can draw near to God with confidence to receive help with every need we have because Jesus is sitting and representing. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. So Jesus is sitting as our ruler and he's sitting as our representative. He's our king and he's our priest. And do you know what is amazing? It's that he's both. This psalm talks about this strange person called Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, he just appears really quickly in the Old Testament, but for the Jews, he was like Don Bradman. I mean, he was a legend. They loved Melchizedek. And here's why they liked him, because he was a priest and a king. He was both. Now, besides good old Mel, no one ever thought there could be a person that would be both a king and a priest. That is too much power. That's too much authority for one ordinary human to bear. But Jesus was not an ordinary human. He is both a king and a priest. No one ever thought that could happen. Now, here's why it's amazing that he's both a king and a priest. You see, if Jesus was just a king, it would lead to terror. Because the message would be, I am Lord, so submit and obey. But if Jesus were just a priest, well, the message would be, I love you, I forgive you, I care for your weaknesses, and so go live however you want, do whatever you please. Now, can I say, church, if you just have one of those views of Jesus without the other, you have a skewed picture of who Jesus is. No, we need both, a king and a priest. We need to be ruled and we need a God who will serve us in weakness. And Jesus is both. 
He rules in strength and power and he serves us in weakness, humbling himself to death on a cross, listening to our cries and representing us in the throne room of heaven. He's sitting on a throne and he's sitting as our servant. He's ruling on high and he allows us to draw near. Only when you understand that he's both a king and a priest that you can become like one of his willing servants, one of his troops that we see in verse 3. You see in verse 3, it talks about Jesus' troops, that they're willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor, filled with joyful energy like the morning dew, if you're a, a troop who has been conscripted against your will into an army, I mean, you are just uh, serving out of obedience. But these members of Jesus' army are serving out of joy, willingly volunteering. Why? Well, you can only become like that when your heart has been changed. You can only offer yourself joyfully and willingly to serve Jesus when you realize he is your ruler who rightfully deserves your worship and your priest who gave up everything for you at a cross. When you realize that, you're ready to say, Jesus, I want to be your willing servant. I want to offer up everything to you in joyful worship. And obedience. Jesus is our ruler. He's sitting on a throne. Jesus is our representative. He's sitting as our priest. The job is done and he's interceding. So bow down. So draw near. And don't forget he is returning. And on that day, he will offer us a seat to sit with him in victory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and adore you. For you died for us, you rose again, and you are seated above every rule and authority and power and dominion. Lord, thank you that you represent us, that you serve us, that you died for us. Help us to be ready to serve you willingly and joyfully. In your name we pray.